Eaglemont kids are watching their online teaching now. Pastor Crystal, thanks so much for providing that. We're continuing our message series, The Problem of God, answering uh, skeptics' questions to the Christian faith, answering their challenges to the Christian faith. A former atheist, now pastor, Mark Clark is the author, and we're using this book and titles with his permission. Just before we dive in, I want to encourage you, Eaglemont parents, to talk with your kids about what the Bible says about sex, uh, even from fairly early ages, uh, appropriately. Um, if you need resources uh, or suggestions, uh, Pastor Crystal said you could contact her uh, at uh, crystal at eaglemontchurch.ca. I want to welcome everyone watching today, and especially if you're a little skeptical of the Bible, a little skeptical of Christianity, or maybe a lot skeptical, uh, I want you to know that this series was designed with you in mind, and if you want to connect for any further dialogue, I'd be more than happy to hear from you. You can email me directly at marlo at eaglemontchurch.ca. Some of you may have said, or you've thought, if I have to adopt the sexual ethic or practices of the Bible to be a Christ follower, count me out. Like many skeptics, you may perceive that the Bible's view of sex is uh, oppressive or antiquated or both. Well, I'm glad and even honored that you've chosen to listen to this message today. There are two segments in this talk. In the first, we'll talk about uh, three perspectives that, uh, about sex that skeptics of Christianity have. And then the second segment, the subheading of the second segment is God is pro-sex. And yes, you heard me correctly, so stay with me. So perspectives uh, of sex or perspectives about sex that uh, skeptics of Christianity often have, and these are common in our society. The first is that sex is appetite. That's it. Merely uh, an appetite to be satisfied, like when you're hungry uh, and you satisfy that hunger with uh, a Kit Kat or a Big Mac or, oh, okay, a fresh garden salad. Uh, but you, you uh, address the need, you address the appetite, you satisfy the appetite in any number of ways. Well, this idea that uh, sexual appetite is simply an outcome of uh, the evolutionary process. Uh, so uh, sex is nothing more than instinct, like in the animal kingdom. No moral aspect to it whatsoever. So no one has the right to interfere with your decision about how you choose to satisfy this uh, sexual urge. Well, if this humanistic philosophy is carried out to its extreme and logical ends, it's actually a terrible and destructive thing. It leads to the place of having to say things like uh, harems or concubines or multiple wives are okay, pornography is okay, sex outside my marriage with someone who's not my spouse is okay. It's a view where God, as the designer and giver of the good gift of sex, is completely absent, and so he has no right whatsoever to speak to how this uh, activity of sex should be experienced. Uh, after all, it's just an appetite and uh, has no moral underpinnings. That's the idea. Famous atheist Richard Dawkins speaks honestly about this humanistic philosophy uh, and belief that he possesses 
when he wrote that his own monogamous marriage to his wife uh, is an undarwinian personal decision. Okay, Richard, but it's probably more because if you followed through on your humanistic philosophy and what it allows, your wife would give you the boot. Some of the first century New Testament letters were written to people who were engaged in all kinds of uh, perversions of what God had created to be uh, beautiful and honored. Uh, they engaged in the act of sex outside of the, the safety, uh, the security, and the commitment of a healthy marriage relationship, uh, premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexuality, uh, sexual slavery, uh, temple prostitution, uh, multiple partners, and so on, sexual freedom, quote-unquote, uh, or promiscuity was the pursuit of people in the first century, uh, as it is for many today, uh, based on the idea that sex is merely an appetite uh, detached from heart and soul, uh, or detached from emotional health even. Not realizing that God's design of sex results in joy because uh, it's intended to be all about a selfless expression of love to someone you're fully committed to. And when it's merely a, a self-focused quest uh, for the gratification of appetite, it's ultimately a very empty experience. God knows that. He's designed us that way. In a passage about avoiding sexual immorality, a guy by the name of Paul in the New Testament, he wrote about half of the New Testament. Uh, his title is Apostle, which simply means sent one, and he was sent by God uh, to the people of his day and to us through his writings that are uh, accurate and historical uh, writings about the early church. And by church, I mean the body of Christ followers, uh, people. Uh, so he reminds us that sex is more than simply a physical act. He writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 16, he says, Don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For scripture says the two are united into one. This two becoming one phrase that we've probably all heard at weddings actually comes, Paul is quoting from the second chapter of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis 2.24. And, and this oneness is more than merely physical. It's more than a physical reality. It involves our whole person. And I would say this, that if, if your sexual past uh, is negatively impacting your marriage today, I recommend that you read from uh, Christian speaker Sheila Gregor's uh, good blog on this topic. Sheila Gregor, uh, G-R-E-G-O-I-R-E, -E, if, you're, if you're Googling that. Her good blog entitled, Do You Form Soul Ties by Having Sex with Somebody? That can be uh, again, negatively impacting on your marriage. And that might be helpful for some of you to read. And she's got some other good uh, writings and blogs uh, on this topic. The second idea is sex is bad. Skeptics might say, well, why would I embrace Christianity when it tells me sex is bad? Mark Clark, uh, in his book, talks about growing up outside the church and being absolutely convinced that Christianity taught that sex itself was bad. And then in, in his later teens, he started reading the Bible, actually reading the Bible for himself, and discovered that 
what he thought the Bible said about sex was not actually what it said at all. And yet there's, of course, there's, there's still a way that God wants his good gift of sex to be experienced for our emotional, uh, physical, and even uh, spiritual health, namely within the, the safety and security of a committed marriage between a husband and wife. It's, it's God's design that we see from the very beginning of creation and, and that Jesus himself uh, reiterated in, in the Gospels. And so, but we can't equate God's guidelines for sex to mean sex is bad. But that's the leap many people take. Or rather, it's that sex outside of God's perfect design of marriage is not only uh, not the best, but it's and can be uh, very detrimental in, in various ways. Not to mention that God calls sex outside his context of marriage uh, sin for those who care about that. Sin is any time we turn away from God's perfect ideal and do our own thing in any area of life. And, that, and that's not because God's a killjoy, because he's not. It's because he's the one who's who, who has designed life and created us to enjoy all aspects of it in the way that he intended it to be lived. Uh, he loves us most, and so why wouldn't we live according to the designer's plan and, and pattern in every aspect of life, uh, including in the area of uh, his, his gift of sex to human beings? So, sex is not bad, it's just that God has uh, a best practice for it. A third idea is that sex is ultimate. It's another idea in our culture. It's another way of saying that sex has become a, a, a small g, a god, and it's elevated, uh, and for many, sadly, becomes the primary means of, of, of them determining uh, their, their identity as a, as a person. Uh, Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger said, sexual liberation is the only method to finding inner peace and security and beauty. What a, what a narrow and misguided statement about the supposed power uh, of, of sex. Our identity as human beings is not found in our sexuality or the practice of it. That's a, that's a small part of who we are. Our true identity is, uh, and this is so clear in the New Testament, uh, written by the God who created us, that our identity is only found in knowing that we are created and loved by, uh, by an all-wise God whom we can trust with our lives, with our questions, uh, with our eternity. Um, and, and when we choose to surrender to him, our identity is found our true identity. Our, our sexuality is not uh, our identity, even though it is a gift that God, uh, that God gives, but only a temporary one, and, and actually one that points to a, a greater reality and a greater joy, and, and that is getting God himself as our friend and, and leader of our life and eternity with him as we trust him. So, let's move on to the second segment of this of this talk. My, my main purpose in this message is to show that God is the creator of, of something very good. And he stated exactly that in uh, Genesis 1, 31. It, it says there that God looked over all of his creation that he had made and he saw, and this is his own declaration of his, of his work, 
and justifiably so. He saw that it was very good. And, and that included his human creation as relational and sexual beings. God is pro-sex in, in the context for which he designed it, as, as we've already said and uh, as we've already seen, for, for at least three reasons. God is pro-sex for at least three reasons. The first is something we refer to as uh, procreation. Uh, Genesis 1, 27 and 28, God created human beings in his own image. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Good news. I remember 22 years ago, or 23 years ago, uh, one of our daughters who will remain unnamed, she was very young and was a part of a family conversation about this subject. I can't remember how it came up, but I do remember she had an aha moment. You could, you could see the light going on as she looked at her brother, her sister, and then kind of pointed to herself and, and then looked at us as her parents and deduced, ah, oh, three times. Uh, yeah, three times, Mariah. Oh, oops, sorry. Um, well, of course, it's, it's God's design of sex between a man and a woman that perpetuates the human race, and he intends it to be within the context of a committed marriage where there's, uh, I'm saying these words repeatedly for a reason, uh, safety and security for parents and for children, of course, as well. We know that Sadly, this is not the case in every family because human, be human beings are uh, broken and sinful. Uh, but God's ideal of a loving and healthy family is the very best for every family member. Another God-designed purpose for sex is pleasure itself. That might surprise some of you, but sex is a gift from God created by Him for us to enjoy. In Proverbs 5.18, God says to men that we are to rejoice in the wife of our youth. Re rejoicing means various things, but it's also code for sexual enjoyment. And by the way, ladies, much of the Old Testament book of Song of Solomon is a wife speaking in a way that tells us that God also encourages women to rejoice in their husband. Old-time pastor and author Charles Swindle writes about the, the biblical book in the Old Testament, Song of Solomon, and says, and it's, it's, a, it's a book for those that don't know, that, that speaks of the, the beauty of, of love and the beauty of, of sexual love in marriage. Um, it's actually in the Bible. And, and uh, Charles Swindle says that Solomon began his rendering of this relationship that's portrayed in this book, The Song of Solomon. He begins his rendering of this relationship with the two lovers in courtship, longing for affection. Eventually, they come together in marriage, the groom admiring his bride's beauty before they consummate their, their relationship, uh, sexually, of course. That's in the Bible. God is pro-sex, as I've said, in the right context. And then over to the New Testament, where, the again, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, wrote on this uh, particular subject to actually counter a number of uh, perversions that were prevalent at that time. And his response was uh, to present God's good and healthy gift of sex in a healthy and positive way for sexual expression. 
Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 and 4 says, The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Did you know that was in the Bible? That's, that's pretty specific. Um, <coughs> excuse me. There is, there, is, there is in no way any excuse or allowance in these words from scripture, uh, any uh, allowance at all in any way for any attitude of entitlement or, or, or domineering, uh, demanding demeanor at all. God intends uh, this mutual ownership of bodies between husband and wife in marriage to always come from a, a place of love and respect and, and selflessness between husband and wife, which God knows will contribute to a satisfying and fulfilling sex life. In a Promise Keepers magazine article, uh, article entitled God Loves Sex, and uh, Promise Keepers is a ministry to men, uh, and this uh, article has, uh, or this article is entitled, as I said, God Loves Sex. In that article, the author says, many who have a casual acquaintance with the Bible might say that the Bible's primary concern with sex is to keep us from enjoying it. Uh, well, the article, the point of the article is, is to correct that thinking, uh, that indictment is based on hearsay and assumption. Uh, yet many people have a difficult time believing that God, um, you know, could give anything uh, or that anything from God is uh, and, and doing things his way is, is best or most fulfilling. Some people just struggle with that generally. Uh, and it's understandable if they struggle with it even more uh, when we're talking about, about sex. Uh, people who aren't familiar with the Bible often don't realize that God is the, the creator and the giver of all good things and that he always has our best interests at heart uh, in every aspect of life, including this area of sex. Of course, we know that uh, Hollywood has perpetuated the lie uh, that the single life is where, uh, you know, that's the place uh, where the most exciting sex happened, happens and that uh, sex in marriage is, is boring. At least that's the way it's most often portrayed in movies and TV. In his uh, Problem of Sex chapter, Mark Clark cites two studies that discredit this misconception. Uh, at the end of one of those studies, the researchers uh, said succinctly, Promoting marriage will make for a lot more happy men and women, and, and, and not, not just any marriage, but marriages where they are made a priority by both spouses and where there's investment made uh, to grow that marriage in a healthy and vibrant way, and, and that takes work and intentionality. But, but Clark uh, quotes these studies, and th there's another uh, second one that he quotes that is a collaborative uh, study by two universities uh, that's been referred to as one of the most authoritative ever. Uh, it found that of all, and this is how they said it, of all sexually active people, the most physically pleased and emotionally satisfied were married couples. Again, that's different than uh, what we typically see on, on TV. God created the marriage context for sex to be safe, secure, fun, satisfying. Our creator, the God of the Bible, is a very giving God. He really is. And if you don't know that because you've never given him the opportunity to be that for you, I tell you, 
he is. And I, and I know that from experience, as, as many of you watching do as well. Well, thirdly, God is pro-sex because it contributes to this thing called intimacy, which is a misunderstood word and a, and a word that, that I think scares some people, actually, and it doesn't have to. God values intimacy because he's all about deep and meaningful relationships. And of course, intimacy uh, in, includes uh, sexual activity or sexual engagement between husband and wife, but it is, but it is far more than that as well. In Genesis 2, 24 and 25, it says, A man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Of course, that's a, an aspect of intimacy, an important aspect of intimacy. And then verse 25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Hmm, interesting. Of course, that was before Adam and Eve sinned and everything at that point, got messed up. But, but here they were, as God's original creation, no shame. Unobstructed intimacy. It's beautiful. God's intent for sex is that it be a place of, of beautiful intimacy. But that's, sadly, that's often not the case in our society because God's gift is misused. God's gift of sex is misused. In an article about casual sex on familylife.com, the author writes about some of the all-too-common and sad realities that display the sexual brokenness in our world. She writes this, I've heard heartbreaking stories about women approaching campus health centers for birth control only to return a few months later for antidepressants. I've read girls' comments along the lines of, I have sex to get him to like, love, or commit to me. She writes, sex has become the introduction rather than a consummation. She continues and says, I've heard of their contests to see who could have the most sex. And I know of the betrayal of young women like a high school valedictorian, Olivia, who said, why do they tell you how to protect your body from herpes and pregnancy, but they don't tell you what sex does to your heart? In that same article is a link to another article entitled, The Sexual Revolutionaries Got Sexual Satisfaction All Wrong. Long title, but that's what it is. The Sexual Revolutionaries Got Sexual Satisfaction All Wrong, which highlights, again, that in couples who possess faith and have expressed their commitment through marriage, there's a higher percentage of, of those who say their sex lives are more satisfying. And again, I said that already, I know, but it's worth repeating. It's another reminder that God's way of expressing and experiencing sex is the best uh, and the most healthy. Um, yet I, I mentioned a moment ago, God's gift of sex and intimacy got messed up, as, as did everything in the fall. And that's a, for those that may not know, that, that's a term uh, theologians use to describe what we read about in the first early chapters of, of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. The fall is simply a reference to the time when our first human parents um, chose to disregard God, their loving creator's direction, and do their own thing. Uh, we, we read about it again in the, about the first three chapters of, of Genesis. And I talked about this 
in my message on May 3rd in this series uh, that you can listen to if you go to eaglemont.church and uh, you can listen to that. That's uh, all I'll say uh, about that now except to say that every, everything was broken because of that original sin, including our relationship with God. Um, but God is able and willing and desirous to restore all things uh, for those who say, God, uh, please, I, I want, uh, in every area of my life, I want your will and your way. I surrender to you. And that, that includes our, 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 our desires, our priorities, our, our, our money, our, our abilities and, and, and talents, uh, and, and our sex life. And everything about our relationships. It's our, it's our whole life. And that can be a scary thing for, for some people. But when you know God loves you most and knows you best, who better to take control uh, and step into the role of leader of my life? Who better? I want to share a story from Christian psychologist Dr. Henry Cloud, one of the authors of the book called Boundaries that some of you will be familiar with. And I know this message is primarily intended to help skeptics consider the truth of what God says about sex. But I want to speak to married couples for a moment. If that's not you, please just stay with me here for a couple of minutes. Dr. Cloud teaches about the beauty and the power of this thing called intimacy as God designed it. And, and he, he words it this way. He says, intercourse, whether verbal or sexual, requires a safe environment for vulnerability and openness. That's a brief sentence, but a, a poignant one, a powerful one. Intercourse, whether verbal or sexual, requires a safe environment for vulnerability and openness. And God intends that place to be the marriage relationship, if you haven't picked up on that yet in this, in this talk, where, where husband and wife live out a selfless commitment to God and to one another. And yet in our broken world, many marriages experience deep, deep challenges, whether because of an, a, a pornography addiction or uh, experiences of sex before marriage that have a negative impact now uh, or uh, other uh, all kinds of painful situation from situations from one's past uh, there there are certainly deep challenges and some of you are no doubt experiencing some of those things or or other things that that are just uh, seem to be such an impediment to growing intimacy in your marriage. But I, I wanna ask you today to, to open your heart and your life and your marriage to, to God and ask him to breathe uh, hope and breathe life into, into your heart and your marriage. I'm absolutely convinced that any, any challenge or, or previous painful experience can be overcome with God's wisdom, with God's grace, with God's strength, and, and maybe with a good Christian counselor who can help you apply God's word and his, written, his truth in his written word to your life and marriage. The, that there's hope for true and meaningful intimacy in your married life, my friend. I hope you believe that uh, because I do. I, I deeply do. And I've seen restoration in marriages many times that are just nothing but miraculous. God's able. I want to, I want to, hopefully the Holy Spirit through these words will just deposit that hope in your heart and, and belief for that. Dr. Cloud talks about uh, the importance of communicating to our spouse that, that they're valued 
uh, that, that she respects her husband, uh, that he cherishes his wife and his love would literally uh, lead him to die for her. Um, he talks about the, the art and the discipline of truly listening, which deepens intimacy. He reminds us that couples who don't listen well to one another and can't freely and openly express what they need uh, from the other will experience hindrances to deepening the intimacy of their marriage, sexually and otherwise. Dr. Cloud went on to share a story about a married couple that he was counseling. He, he said they thought that their primary problem was their diminishing sex life. Well, in that session, they began to talk about a situation where the husband had made a mistake and it was a, a little irresponsible and he messed up something in their finances and she got mad and began belittling him. Uh, he responded back in anger and he told Dr. Cloud, he said, this is always what happens when, when I make a mistake. Dr. Cloud in that session turned to the wife and asked, what are you feeling as a good psychologist would do? What are you feeling? She said, well, I'm mad because he and Dr. Cloud interrupted and said, besides mad, what are you feeling? She paused, she teared up, and she finally said, I'm, I'm so afraid. As she said those words, she began to sob. And in those moments, with Dr. Cloud's guidance, that couple identified how fear had gripped her throughout her whole adult life because of the fear that she lived with in the dysfunctional home that she grew up in. And she'd never really surrendered that or never fully surrendered that to God. And so these years later in her marriage, she still lived in fear that things would fall apart because she never had felt safe in family life. And so when her husband's behavior came anywhere close to the irresponsibility of her parents, Fear was her instant feeling that, that showed itself in judgment and, and contempt toward him. Well, that day when through her sobbing, she was honest about her fear, uh, her husband was drawn compassionately toward her and she'd never experienced that before. Dr. Cloud said that moment was the start of the positive turnaround of their sexual relationship. Why? Because she got out of the power position and he got out of the angry position and they connected with vulnerability. Willing to admit their brokenness to one another and to God, which made a growing intimacy possible. Awesome. Maybe that story will help some of you who are struggling in your marriage. I pray it will. Let's conclude where we started. For those of you who are working at connecting the dots on what it means to be a Christ follower, please don't, don't let your misunderstanding of God's view of sex keep you from embracing Jesus and surrendering to him and his, his best plan for, for your life, uh, which applies in every area, including your sexuality. Uh, not to mention the, the gift of eternal life that he offers you. Uh, and, and payment's been made for that. You don't have to work to, 
to, to receive that. Payment for you was made for your eternal uh, place in heaven with God by, by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Him taking the penalty for sin, my sin, your sin, up upon himself. I want to read a scripture verse that for some of you who maybe haven't been, uh, well, right now we, we can't go into, as we say, a church. But the church is a body. And the message of the church continues, no matter what the circumstances are in the world. And, and that's been the case down through history in many different types of situations of persecution and other things. And so this message is, is what we are about as a church, as an Eaglemont church, a body of believers. This core message in a simple scripture verse that I want to share with you. And some of you may remember this from when you were a kid at a church camp or going to Sunday school. Or maybe you had a grandmother who, or grandfather who, who shared this scripture with you. It's quite likely. It's John 3.16. It says, For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish. In other words, would not, would not be eternally separated from God, but would have the gift of eternal life. And that's what he offers you today in relationship with him. If you want to pray today, and that's all it is, you don't have to jump through any hoops. You don't have to perform to a certain level over a period of time. No, you step into the eternal family of God by asking Jesus Christ to be your Lord, to be your Savior, to be your forgiver, to be the leader of your life. And if you want to do that today, you can pray something like this. Heavenly Father, Thank you for sending your son Jesus to this earth to die for me so I could live free and I could live eternally and I could live as you want me to live in every area of life, including my sexuality and relationships. God, I commit my life to you. I receive your forgiveness for my sin. I turn from my sin. I repent from my sin. I turn to you as the one who created me, who knows me best and loves me most. I want to follow you. Thank you for your gift of eternal life and your forgiveness in my life today. In Jesus' name, amen.